Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a total of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to inspire.business forward slash chat. G'day, everyone. Uh, In this episode of Young Family Small Business, uh, I'm interviewing Ben Nash, who's a financial advisor and the founder of Pivot Wealth. He helps people invest smarter so they can create a life not limited by money. And he's got a focus on helping people make smart money decisions so they can live a lifestyle they want today while they set up their future at the same time. Ben knows that taking action is what's uh, needed to get better money results. Um, But first, you need to know the rules of the game. In Ben's content that he shares uh, heaps online, uh, he draws on practical experience from working with thousands of people to deliver simple, tried and tested money strategies that actually work delivered in a very easy to understand way. Uh, in my interview with Ben, uh, we covered some really cool topics. I've, I've actually known him for a few years. So um, yeah, d- definitely sort of uh, love love his style of, um, of advice. Uh, but we covered things like how he's, or the reasons why he said no to a massive partnership opportunity uh, with big financial upside. Also why education plays a huge part of the advice process for him and Pivot Wealth. Uh, tips for business owners on growing their wealth and challenges of a fast-growing business that he shared, especially over the last two years, uh, growing his team quite quickly. Uh, so, yep, I hope you enjoy uh, Ben's interview. And um, we've got links in the show notes for Next Tips if you want to buy his book or uh, maybe go to one of his events that he uh, he does quite regularly. Thank you. Hey, Ben. Uh, so good to have you here today. Um, thanks for um, joining me on the podcast. Oh, mate, good to be here. Sweet and an easy name to remember. Hey, <laughs> yeah, keeping it simple today. That's it. Uh, well, first question: Could you tell us a bit about your family? Like, who's in it? Ah, uh, yeah. So, my wife and I have got two lovely daughters. Our eldest, Margot, is uh, she's turning three in July, so she's two and a half and a bit. And our youngest is just turned one in February. So that's uh, little Olivia. Um, both little angels, of course, don't take after their dad at all, thankfully. Um, so yeah, we're blessed. Uh, how good. And, um, yeah, that's actually quite similar ages to, to mine, but, uh, what do you like doing together as a family? Well, we actually in, uh, just, just in the middle of the last New South Wales COVID lockdown, we moved from the inner West of Sydney, where we were for about a decade prior to up to the northern beaches we're living up at uh, avalon beach now and uh, yeah since moving here about six and a bit months ago just been getting right into the beach uh it's just around the corner for us and the the kids seem to love it so uh that's how when the when the sun is shining which thankfully it is today after the rains that we've been having over the last little bit but um yeah head over to palm beach and uh cruise get a get a little bait bacon and egg roll and uh, hit the beach with the girls, have a picnic and uh, hit the waves. How good. There you go. That sounds fantastic. 
And in terms of Yang, your uh, your wife, did she work in the business with you uh, pretty heavily, or is she what was she sort of up to at the moment? Yeah, well, uh, so I started the business in 2015, and at that time, I just started from scratch and. Unlike a lot of, well, I suppose it's um, some some do and some don't, but I started with essentially with zero clients. I didn't buy into a business or buy like a book of clients or anything like that. So it was just me initially. And um, for the first year, I just rolled that way. Then Yang was actually an accountant by background. She worked across a whole bunch of uh, big companies in, did a lot of work in fashion and then ended up in financial services. And after about 12 months of business was starting to grow and yeah, I roped her in and it was the two of us uh, for about two and a half years after that, just the two of us. Initially, when I started my business, I really wanted to keep it quite small. I, I am not one of these like entrepreneur entrepreneurs, like I never really wanted to, I, I never really pictured myself starting a business or particularly wanted to, to to be like an entrepreneur, I just was working. I initially started working in a big company, then then went and worked at a smaller business. And when I, I was trying to buy into that business, we realized that our values weren't fully aligned. And at that point, I decided that I wanted to leave and I just didn't really want to work for anybody else. So I, yeah, after Yang joined, we sort of had the notion that we would keep the business small and have the flexibility and we both love to travel and we and we did travel quite a lot and and you sort of could pick up um pick up the laptop and go work from the other side of the world or through asia or whatever and that was quite that was quite good but we realized actually when we were planning on getting married and and intending to start a family shortly afterwards and through that time the business had started to grow as well that it was it was quite a lot of work and i realized that for the personal and family goals that we had that it was it was going to be impractical for me to be the only one to deliver the 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 front end advice work and also for yang to be the one um, doing doing everything else behind the scenes trying to uh, to balance a kid or two in the background so we we then started growing out the team and then we had our we had our first bub in July 2019 so the, the business was about four years old at that point. And then Yang took a fair step out of the business, obviously, to, to help with that, although she still does a lot of sort of board level support for strategic decision making. She's a bit of a, uh, at being a good accountant, but she likes to keep a tight leash on the, the finances side of the business. So I she has to approve all of my expenses when I get too excited and want to spend lots of money on merch and like, you know, random stuff that I want to buy for the business. People will hats, for example. I get sign off <laughs> from the CFO. And yeah, and then she, after, you know, finding a bit of routine with our first bub, then mm-hmm. created a bit more time back. And uh, Yang really likes design and those um, more creative aspects of the business. So she does a lot of work in that side but it's more things that are not non-operational and not not time dependent so that she can just flex with her schedule which works quite well from a commitment point of view and yeah she can she can sort of work around that obviously now with two kids um we've lost a bit of time from her again but she doesn't work again operationally in the business but still does provide a lot of support like we just had a candidate interview this morning she jumps in on that 
helps with decision making, but just non-operational. Yeah, no, very good. And, and so I guess um, like she, she might not be shoulder to shoulder with you all week, but there's still that sort of involvement in the business. How do you kind of manage? Because yeah, two young kids, uh, you got the business to run, you you got team to manage, hiring, all that sort of stuff, and also like Yang, Yang's got a plate full as well. How do you sort of manage to keep time? Like, do you have a sort of anything in place for that or anything you like to do as a couple? Well, we, I, I think that her working in a non-operational role in the business is probably helpful from our, for, from a relationship perspective in that, you know, prior to that, we just all day, every day and, and work. And it's a lot of, you know, especially when things are busy as they are in growing businesses that, um, that means that we ended up talking a lot about work all of the time and then we're intimately involved in what everybody, what each of us is doing, you know, all day, every day. Whereas now while she does jump in on meetings, like I'm essentially doing my thing and she's doing her thing and um, then we reconnect at the end of the, the day. We've got a pretty structured process with the kids and timing and schedules and all of that sort of stuff. So where uh, dinner's on the table at five o'clock every every night for the kids and I do my best to to make sure that I'm there uh, for that which I do probably about 95% of the time which is which is quite good and then we go into the you know bath time read a story kids kids go off to sleep at about uh, 6 45 and then I'm a big sauna addict, so I normally that's my decompress at the end of the day. And about half the time, I rope gang in for a board meeting in the in the sauna at the end of the day and uh, have a chat, unwind, and do things that way. But I have made in the last probably it's probably been since we had our second bub that I've really made a a point of not working in the evenings or beyond five pm. So I don't do late meetings. I don't do work in the evenings. I do get up early. I'm, I'm a bit of an early riser, so I normally get up between sort of four and five and get my work done before the chaos sets in in the household in, in the morning, which works. But I find that preserving the, that evening time allows us to, to do more. And then, you know, the majority of the time on the weekend that I'm when the kids are around, it's family time and, you know, we just enjoy that time and, and do stuff together and having that good balance and separation. I've Find works pretty well. Kids keep us accountable. It's um, it's it forces you because it's easy. I think as a business owner that you and for me, like I love I love to work. I love working on my business. I find business really interesting and exciting, and I love marketing and you know spreadsheets and playing around with things. That it is really easy to just keep tinkering and tinkering and tinkering. But I think when you have a family, it sort of puts things a bit in perspective and. Yeah, it's a, it's a good reminder to, you know, take the time to be a human and not just a, a business owner and a business operator. Yeah, absolutely. And I found um, the, the trickiest thing for me around, around that sort of time, that sort of five o'clock or just before is, is transitioning out of work mode into family mode. That's like, that's been, yeah, just something I've been really challenged with um, and, and still haven't sort of mastered perfectly, but uh, mm. definitely one of the hardest things is just leaving the work out, getting it out of your head and, and just going full on into family mode. I think actually yes. <laughs> one of the things I do is jump on the ride on and do a bit of mowing that clears the head pretty easily. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the breathing exercises. So if I can find the time, if I'm ever feeling flat at the end of the day or struggling to switch off, do a 
you know, five or 10 minutes of um, some breathing exercises and get a bit of an energy boost, which is helpful at the end of the day. And um, yeah, to create that bit of space, but yeah, it's, it's not always easy, especially when there's lots of things going on, but uh, you know, I think we do our best, try not to put too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect because who is really. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not in the definition of human. There you go. So um, th- thanks for sharing on that. I think it's it's really good to sort of hear the personal and family side um, of of a, a business owner um, and and just, yeah, just to sort of feel like we're, we're not alone in our struggles or, or things we sort of strive for. Oh, very cool. Would you be able to walk us through what your career journey looked like um, sort of up until starting Pivot? Um, like what, what did life look like for you? Yeah, so I actually... Didn't I didn't go to university straight out of high school? I was a bit of a uh, bit of a rebel when I was a teenager and wasn't too interested in in school. And when I finished year twelve, I actually didn't even properly graduate from year twelve. I moved interstate in my final year of school and ended up dropping a, a subject and meant that I didn't meet the eligibility for the. I moved from New South Wales to South Australia and for their year twelve certificate. And then after high school I had a mate that was a bricklayer he invited me to to go and work for him and he was like oh you can make you know a thousand bucks a week doing this stuff and I was like oh wow that's pretty cool thousand bucks and I enjoyed the work and it was fun it was hard but it was fun and you know out in the sun and um, getting strong and stuff and I did that for a while and then I, I, I worked with him for a couple of years and then I had mates that had gone to uni and then they started graduating. They were getting these jobs and they were like interesting jobs. And while I did enjoy the physical side of, of the work, I also realized that I didn't want to be a 50-year-old bricklayer like working that hard all the time or, you know, be, being forced actually to, to work, yeah, extended hours all, uh, all, all the time. So I just by chance actually was given a book about finance rich dad poor dad by guy kiyosaki really great great book for anyone that hasn't that hasn't read it i think it sold like 20 million copies or something it's um really appealed to me the the simplicity that he explained concepts that i found confusing and that sparked an interest and then i just started reading i was always a bit of a reader so i just started reading more and more and more and then yeah really developed this interest for investing in personal finance and then went to study. So I did like mature age entry at uni, studied uh, commerce. And then through that degree, I ended up getting a graduate role in a fairly traditional financial advice company. Um, Really great business, strong technically. They were working with a lot of people that were getting closer to or in retirement. And I, I really enjoyed the work. They had a really great culture internally. And, um, I, yeah, I was attracted to the advice work. I love working with people and that every day was different and different challenges, different, you know, to what you do, legislation. The legislation's always changing. There was always something more to, to learn and, and keep up with. And I also like the, the psychology or the behavioral sort of finance aspect of the work in that everybody reacted differently to different stuff and it was almost like a bit of a felt a bit like a mad scientist that you could change part of a conversation and then see what the impact was to people in terms of how it landed how it connected with their message and yeah that was really good and then that business went through a restructure and they basically sacked all of their advisors um which was sort of good because they 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 made redundant like me and all of my mates so we played quite a lot of golf at that point in time 
and I let, I was sort of top, did you for it? <laughs> yeah, well, there was I think there was like twenty of us or something, all in a similar position around the same age. So as we were all looking for jobs, we managed to find a bit of time to socialize in that, which was which was quite fun. And yeah, and then I left, and I was sort of considering to pass, sticking to more of a top tier you know, really established sort of mahogany desk type business as I'd refer to it these days um, <laughs> and helping people that already had tons of money get get more money, which has a, has appeal. But I ended up getting approached by this smaller business that was working with a lot of first home buyers and they were looking for a financial planner to join the business and build the financial advice offering out. And I, I thought that I sort of figured that it could go either way but I figured it was worth a worth a shot, and uh, went in there and and sort of evolved the service model from a really really basic bare bones to begin with, because I'd never really been responsible for building out a you know a service solution or a service offering before. And I got a really good mentor that was an experienced advisor, and he taught me a lot of things. And over the course, and then I had mates that were all sort of coming up at the same time that had started businesses or joined businesses and we're all sharing knowledge and learning from each other that evolved into the xy advisor community which is like a, a big community of financial advisors in australia now we lo- we learn a lot and things grew and then as i sort of touched on at the start i was talking to the owner about essentially buying into that business and becoming a partner and that conversation as often happens like it it got protracted over a, quite a period of time and I'm thankful in hindsight that it did because there were some things that happened that made me realize through that process that we just weren't aligned from a values perspective. And while it would have been really financially lucrative for me to continue to pursue that path, I ultimately decided that, yeah, there were were some things that would make it really challenging and that it would be better to, to, to do it the way that I wanted to do things. And I thought, you know, I initially thought I'll leave in 12 months and start something and I started planning and then I brought that forward to six months and then I brought it forward to three months and then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm out. And yeah, I, I started the business, uh, as I said, started from scratch. I wanted to create a really education-focused, transparent advice model and at that time and really still like there's in financial planning, there's a lot of like sort of conflicts of interest or historically there had been product pushing. Thankfully, that's less and less of the case these days, but I wanted to work with a fee-only model, you know, not accepting any insurance commissions, which was less than I think half a percent of advisors at that point in time and really build a model around that. Working specifically with younger people in that accumulation stage. And then when I started and we started working with, there were probably two sort of audiences that we initially got exposed to almost a little bit by accident, one being small business owners or self-employed people and the other being tech professionals working for your like Apple, Amazon, Google, those sorts of companies. And so we carved out a bit of a niche in those two areas. And yeah, I've gone through the evolution of business, but the rest was uh, the rest is sort of history. Yeah, how good. And, and I, um, I had a chuckle when you said the ma- mahogany desk uh, style advisors. Yeah. I was like, that's the last thing I'd picture you. <laughs> well, I used to, yeah, you should see the photos of me back in the day. But in the first role that I worked in in the industry, it was very much suit and tie. You had to wear the tie, weren't allowed to grow a beard. 
Um, <laughs> you, you, yeah, it was, it was that very traditional space. And when I, when I got made redundant from that role, I immediately grew a beard because I was like, I'm going to grow, uh, I'm going to grow a beard. And then when I get my next job, I'll have a beard. And it was like really, really short at that time. So that was my like non-mahogany desk uh, beard. And then when I started my own business, it's I got my self-employed beard, which is a bit longer. And then it's just, um, <laughs> I've, I've probably pushed the boundaries a couple of times since then. But these days, it's fairly, fairly streamlined. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> and so you mentioned you sort of do things a little bit differently to the standard uh, industry, does it? Um, could you tell us more about the educational focus that you have um, with with your clients? And I know that you do a lot of events too. Um, like I, was, uh, I saw a post you did with like upcoming events, and there's like one every week or two. It's it's uh, impressive. Um, but yeah, to tell us a bit more about that educational side. Yeah, well, look, as I see it, the good financial planning—not necessarily with the financial planner, but just good money management, good money strategy for any person—really just means good priorities like there's no one set of steps or pathways that is going to lead every person to financial success because the right money moves for any individual it really depends on them it depends on where they're at it depends on what's really important to them and it depends on how they their situation is going to how they want it to play out over time so for some people some people get stressed by different types of risk or some people get really stressed about debt whether it's good debt or bad debt or um you know, anything in between. So I've found that the key to making the best decisions is to really actually deeply understand your options, which is quite challenging because there's a lot of different, as you would know from what you do, there's so many different things to be thinking about for your money. And it's not just, you know, what's in front of you, it's the two steps ahead that you need to be thinking about to anticipate the potential problems, issues, or yeah, the mistakes to avoid or the opportunities that you should be taking advantage of. So when I say it's different, I don't think it really should be different. And to me, it always just seemed like common sense where it's like every person's got a, got a handful of pathways in front of them. Like if you want to create wealth or grow your assets or achieve like financial freedom or whatever label you put on that, you could buy shares, you could buy property. Um, there's a few different ways you could do that. You could crank your super fund, you could buy crypto, you could do any number like you do a handful of things, right? The most likely, the best thing, some of those things are obviously a bit better than others, but the most likely outcome is, is what's the combination of those things, the right combination to deliver the financial results that you want, but while you have the peace of mind that you want, and also while you have the lifestyle that you want. So when I say, yeah, do things differently, it's like, let's just deeply understand someone's situation and the moving parts that are going to drive decisions. Then Let's explore what the key pathways are, the ones that make the most sense and help them actually understand them, not just the financial impact, but definitely including the financial impact, but then all of the risks, trade-offs, benefits, downsides. And then we'll just workshop and get help them to choose and choose from an informed perspective. So they can say, well, I like this, I like this less, I like a little bit of that. And then let's make sure that it turns into results is the, is the second part of that. But that's really where the the education piece comes in. I think like my mum was a teacher. I think I didn't actually realize this until some time later on in my career, but I think it I think that must have rubbed off on me a, a, a bit, but that I always enjoyed that education piece. I was actually terrified of public speaking and but I do like to 
get out of my comfort zone. So when I started the business, especially as a brand new business with no clients, I used a lot of the education as a as a way to get more exposure for the business, essentially top of funnel type marketing to get exposure to more people, help them understand what our philosophies were about things. And if they connected with those philosophies, then, you know, using it as an opportunity to build a relationship and continue the conversation. So yeah, that's where it started. And and it's just evolved since there. We did, when I started the business, we did a lot of live workshops then obviously COVID's been a, a big spanner on that, but uh, I'd actually never done a webinar before COVID. And then when, yeah, when the COVID lockdown and everything happened, that especially for our markets, we're like premium advice, charging dollar-based fees from people's bank accounts, like non-product-based fees, working with younger people. And a lot of those people were whacked by COVID and scared and like, you know, people panic buying toilet paper it's hard for them to to shell out like five or ten thousand bucks for a financial plan at that time even though they probably realized that they needed it at that time more than ever but we went into overdrive and on on, yeah marketing and making sure like a lot of business owners a bit panicked making sure that we had lots of people to talk to so that we could we were on a strong growth path before covid we wanted to continue that and yeah made that transition to online education and I do love the magic of being in a room with people and that um, sort of trying to engage people en masse. And yeah, that, that's, that's something that we're doing again and I'm excited to be doing it again. But the ease of doing it all online and the efficiency for us and for the people that involved in that education, I think is great. So we've done, I think with like 20,000 plus attendees at events over the last couple of years. Uh, online, which has been great from an audience building perspective. And now our business has grown quite a lot as a result of that exposure. But all sorts of, yeah, just demystifying common things that I think we take for granted as something that's simple, but don't realize that everything is so complicated and everything's its own area of expertise these days that so much confusion out there. So hopefully we're trying to help people just cut through that noise a bit and figure out, you know, what their next step is and how to make that with confidence. Yeah, yeah, and and I've I've appreciated listening to some of those um, uh, things that you've done, and um, and one sort of thing I've noticed is you you're not terribly polarizing, as in you don't do property, you do this, you, you can't negative gear, or you you know there's a, there's sort of like hard and fast rules about it. Um, you, you've got your sort of philosophy, I feel, but um, but it's not like you'll you'll take a stance on something that absolutely rules something out, uh, like even crypto, like there's there's financial planners who won't even say the word. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, yeah, that, that's kind of what I appreciate having um, sort of followed you for the past few years. So. Well, I think all of, all of those things have their place. Like we, like for example, I know buying off the plan properties is something that I probably would really not do that personally, unless like it would have to be a really exceptional opportunity for that to happen and. For our clients, I would actively discourage them from doing it unless they were in a super strong position where they knew that, you know, it wouldn't matter if changes to mortgage assessment rates or their job security or anything like that. Like any of those sorts of changes would not stop them from completing on that purchase. For that sort of person, maybe it makes sense. But for most people, I'd say it probably doesn't make sense. But I feel like there is still a place there for the right person. And that's something like, when we do it with media stuff, a lot of journos are trying to pin us down going, oh, what's the rules? Like, what are the do's and don'ts? But I think a lot of these things that it can 
yeah, they, they can have a place as long as, as long as you understand the considerations and you're careful with those. But we're not, yeah, like a lot of advisors will be the all in on shares or all in on property or, um, yeah, they sort of pick one or the other. But I think that they, I think shares are great. I think property is great. I think property wins most of the time because of the gearing benefits that come in with property. Businesses, you know, buying business and and creating wealth through business is is a is probably one of the most effective vehicles as well. So yeah, I think it's all it's all got its place, and it's just making sure that you make the right move, but doing it at the right time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the business word, which is a nice segue to my next question. Um, so so we we pro- primarily work with business owners, and um, what are some of the sort of things you see? consistently within that group of, of things that they can improve in their financial position or, or habits that maybe most of them have um, just, just, and, and maybe even they're unaware of that, but uh, yeah, what's your sort of general thoughts on, on that? Well, I think that ensuring that you've got the right structuring in place for your business, like the right entity structuring and, and in a way that drives asset protection goals, as well as tax efficiencies. We see a lot of people if they don't have the support of a, an accountant that is re- has a lot of experience in this space that they don't know, we're not. We do a lot of work. Tax is one of the, the biggest areas that we focus on, but we still defer to the accountant because they are the specialists when it comes to execution and and granular strategy around those things. But I'd say that's probably the biggest opportunity, and it is quite complicated. So. For someone that's a business owner, unless you've got a you know you've got a lot of experience or good help around you, or a real passion and interest in the you know the ins and outs of tax legislation, and honestly, other than you, uh, really, who does? Um, <laughs> the yeah, I, I think that that's probably a, a big one, and and like I know that. Uh, we got a mutual client that we work on recently, like small business CGT and some of the restructuring around that can save, achieve business objectives and save like hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax and support wealth creation. And it's, it's amazing how frequently we see opportunities like that with people that just, just aren't aware of the, of the, what they're sitting on there. So I'd say that that's a that's a big thing to keep it into like to to talk basics. One of the things that I think is really important for business owners is having clear optics or reporting on what's going on with their finances. Like obviously, you need to have some level of yeah, I suppose prudential financial management. Like at least have a, an awareness. Not to say that you need to count every dollar or pinch pennies or restrict yourself or anything like that, but knowing your numbers, you know, what is driving your profitability, what's your revenue forecast, where are your expenses going, because that ties into your wealth creation. And I think that business owners have a really serious opportunity to create some enormous wealth and and probably do it faster, maybe not easier. I suppose it depends on which day of the week you might ask the business owner, myself included, as to, to what that looks like. But we work with people like if you're a, an employee on a million dollars a year or you're a business owner turning a profit of half a million dollars a year, sometimes because you do have more control over what you do, that you actually might take a lower number, but with more control or more flexibility, and it could help you to actually create wealth faster. 
So I think though that in order to to actually do any of those wealth creation things that you do need to know your numbers. And it's also, and there's sort of differing points of view or different differing opinions around this, but um, a lot of people say, well, you need to create wealth outside of your business. And I think, of course, that's absolutely true. And there should be some strategy around that. But when you are really clear on your optics, on your numbers, and you can see and, and forecast in a robust way with a high degree of confidence, then you might choose to maybe you don't push as hard on wealth creation outside of your business if you can see that this business thing that you're working on is going to get you to this milestone faster. And I think I wouldn't say this to all people and I don't want people to take this message in the wrong way because for some people, especially if you're, you know, depending on the business that it, you can, like you should be looking to create assets outside of your, your business, do it ASAP and do it consistently. But for others, where you can see the path that's on there. Sometimes it's okay to not put yourself under pressure to do too much outside of your business when you can see that you're on this path that's going to end up in creating some serious options for you down the line. I feel like that was a long answer to your question, um, um, but a little a little bit in there, it's a, there's a lot of different aspects to what yeah, people yeah. should be thinking about there. Just made me think of a um, a recent client um, who we've sort of just taken on board, and and he's, he's sort of not too sure where he sort of sits in that sort of call it the financial optics or how well he knows his numbers. But um, I almost fell off my chair when he was able to tell me for every dollar he spends on wages, he gets a dollar ten in profit out out the other end. And I was like, whoa, okay, you, you know, you're not going to get that chucking that into the share market. <laughs> So um, yeah, just and, and that kind of showed me like he, he absolutely did know at least that number. Um, mm. but, um, but yeah, just just how how well he kind of was yeah sh- shaped on on knowing that, and also uh, that uh, you know reinvestment back into the business actually makes a lot of sense for him. So yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And I think that you want to have like if, if you know you've got you've got a profit number, which is profit and taxable income that needs to be dealt with in some way. And then you've got cash flow, which is, you know, money that's available that could be used to reinvest in your business, could be used to invest outside of your business. I think knowing regardless of whether you choose to invest back into your business or invest outside of your business, having confidence around those numbers is really important for either of those. But when it comes to, like I touched on property in Australia, if you look at the long to like 25-year return on the Australian share market versus a 25-year return on property as an investment, the share market returns like 8.8%. The property returns like 10.8%. So they're pretty close, but property wins by a couple of percent, which is not a small amount when you extrapolate over 10, 20, or 30 years, but it's also not, you know, it's not earth-shatteringly different. But where property wins is, sorry, you go. Yeah, can I just check with those, those returns? And you might actually be just about to say this. Is, is that 10%, 10 point something percent with property on the gross value of the property or on the? So it's 6.8% value increase plus a, I think it's three, three, 3.4% net rental yield. So when you look at property as an, uh, as an investment, so including the increase in value on the property plus the net the average net rental income that you would receive on property if you were just running it as an investment, then it's, yeah, it, equ- it equates to, yeah, they're added together. So the, the actual just straight growth return is 
as per like the ASX long-term investing report, you can check that out online. It's pretty, it is actually a pretty interesting read. But when you, yeah, and I think that like the share, if you think about the return on a share portfolio, it's comprised of the increase in growth in the value of shares plus the dividend income that you receive on your share portfolio as well, which is where that 8.8 odd percent comes from. But the thing is like when you're comparing the two that you're not, it's not like most people don't go get a million dollars in cash and buy a million dollar property. They, they get a couple of hundred thousand dollars, put down a deposit, go take out a mortgage and then they're, geared, they're essentially geared up. They're borrowed to invest. And so that's great. So long as you do it smart and keep your risk covered and managed, then that's all gravy. But it's the amplifying effect that you've essentially got an asset that's four or five times the size working for you. And if you choose a great share portfolio, it's probably not going to compete with an asset that's five times the, the size of it, which is why property wins. But the reason I started explaining this is that, that in order to pull the trigger on a property purchase and figure out what the right numbers are for you, that you need to, again, have confidence in your numbers. And that's where that optics piece comes in for business owners. What is your free cash flow number? What is your accessible income number for you to ensure that you've got money to fund your mortgage payments and comfortably cover the property and do all of those things in a way that you're going to be able to get the growth that you want, but without facing too much risk or having too much stress, which for most business owners, they've got enough stress in their life. Um, so adding, adding to it and putting yourself under tons of pressure is, is not my recommended uh, course of action. Thanks for that. That's, um, yeah, no, that, that definitely reconfirms a lot thing. And, and it's just, you know, when, when the bank is lending 70, 80, or in some cases 90, or even clients can leverage 100% if they've got equity, when, when that much of the money's coming from somewhere else, it just changes those uh, ROI numbers when just looking at the gross value of the property. And that's just, um, yeah, it makes it game changing. Hey, Absolutely. Yeah. I think any level of borrowing like uh, is amplifies the returns. Obviously it amplifies the losses in a down market and you have to choose good assets, but it's, it's hard, even if the gearing level is only 50%, it's hard for an asset twice the size to keep up with it. We, yeah, with something half the size. Yeah. Uh, very cool. And, and just switching gears to sort of back to you as the business owner, you know, when, just, just for context, when did you start Pivot Wealth? August 3rd, 2015. 2015. Okay. So that is... Six and a bit years. Yeah. Coming up to seven, seven years this year, actually. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so what, one of my questions, well, this question is, um, is around like you, you said you had zero clients, you started it from scratch and, and sort of now give us an idea of where you're at now. So how many is in the team? How many clients roughly do you look after? Yeah. So um, we currently have a team of 18. The client number, we've got about 350 clients across uh, a few different client segments. We, our biggest challenge in the in the recent environment, and we were just chatting about this off um, before firing up the camera, but has just been finding good financial advisors. So the ones that are aligned with our philosophies, that are aligned with our clients and the, the skill sets that are there. So it's actually been quite a frustrating period over the last little while that we have had a, a lot, like we've got a lot of people that want to work with us, but we're constrained by our ability to deliver that work. We are really structured in terms of our process for working with new 
new clients in terms of the meeting cadence and how that works. And we know what the capacity is of the existing team to deliver a certain number of output. And some of one of the learnings that I've made from over the course of business is to actually be really disciplined and rigorous with how we control that from an output perspective. That allows us to measure and manage the quality and ensure that it is delivered in the way that we want it to. So we could do more, but unfortunately, we've just been really selective about um, our team and we have had yeah, people that weren't probably weren't quite the right fit for the role. Great people, great workers, but yeah, just, just not fully lining up. And after, as I'm sure most business owners can appreciate in that sort of situation, it does make you a bit gun shy, which means that we've, we've been really sort of deliberate and intentional with the, the people that we do talk to and making sure we're finding the right fit before we bring them in. But yeah, it's been a journey. We actually had, so we took on our first team member in maybe 20, uh, 2019. So it was January 2019. Before that, it was just Yang and myself. And then um, I think before the COVID, before the COVID kickoff last year, I think we had a team of of five. And and then since that time, yeah, it's grown to the to the eighteen that we've got today. So it's been a lot of uh, a lot of personal professional development around um, recruiting, hiring, team team management, all of these things that I and I'm sure a few of the business owner listeners can appreciate that you start a business. I loved advice, and then I enjoyed the tinkering with the business, but you realize that as businesses grow, that they, there are all of these things, you know, team support, um, all of these different aspects that lucky I like to learn and, and grow because there's a lot of, a lot of growing to be done. Yeah. There's definitely challenges, uh, character building exercise, growing the business. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all righty. Well, um, in, in terms of uh, what I'd like to, if, if you can share, what are the next steps people would take to sort of find out a bit more about you, the business, and, and even those workshops and events that you're running? Sure. So look, anyone that wants to learn more about what we do can jump on the Pivot Wealth website. It's just pivotwealth.com.au. Uh, we also just launched a, a big series of half a dozen odd online events coming up over the next couple of months. So if you they're all on Eventbrite. If you just Google Ben Nash or Pivot Wealth Eventbrite, you'll you'll find them there. I think you can follow that through from our website as well. And I also run a podcast, How to Be Successful with Money. For for the podcast listeners out there, you can find that uh, wherever you get your your podcasts. Or um, I've written a book called Get Unstuck, which you could grab on Amazon if you're keen to dive deeper into some of those philosophies. And I'm sure you'll put some links into the notes for people yeah. as well. Awesome. Yep. We'll definitely pop those in the show notes. So thank you. Um, mate, I appreciate your time. Um, yeah, every sort of six, six to 12 months or whenever we catch up, it's um, always exciting to hear what's happening. Um, so yeah, thank, thanks so much again for sharing with the audience and I'll speak to you soon. Absolutely, mate. Good to be here. Good to share. Thanks, mate. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guest, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support 
for Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also, do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol Ben Walker CA, or one word, or at Inspire underscore accountant. Thanks again, and see you next time.